a person who comes to me after this, certainly I think, I'm going to doctorally punch you in the forehead. Because <laughs> Scripture says lay hands on those, and I'm going to lay hands on you. You got it? I'm going to do exactly what Scripture says. There have been moments in time when we need to, we should always realize that we need to address things as a family. And we are a family. And if you think that your Christianity doesn't have to do with family and you being a part of the family, you don't understand Christianity. And so when the thing with Teresa came up and, and a number of other things, I really began to, to process and to pray and as I shared, we did a lot of outreaches, so there wasn't a lot of time to, to process and pray. But the thought that came to my mind was, every time this is, Thanksgiving is over, correct? Right? Thanksgiving's over. The, the day of Thanksgiving is over. We should always give thanks. But we're moving into the Christmas season. And, and the thought came to me is to ask you as a family to Explain, anybody hear the, 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 the saying, the miracle of Christmas? Anybody hear the saying, the miracle of Christmas? There's a movie called Miracle on 34th Street, right? That wasn't in Baltimore, was it? The Colts played on 33rd Street. Close, right? Or the Christmas miracle. And so I, I want someone to do me a favor as a family that's having a discussion. What does it mean, the miracle of Christmas? Can we go back to the beginning, since you guys jumped in so quick on that? <laughs> and my, my heart is to try to paint a picture this morning. And if I, if I was overseas in a, in a, in a, in a different culture and, and we were going to pray for, for creative miracles, we are going to pray for healing, it would be a totally different atmosphere. I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, there, there, there's an understanding in, that, in different cultures and there's an expectation in different cultures. But, but I want, maybe we can do it this way. Can someone please explain the beginning to me? Can, can someone please explain creation to me? Come on, Tara. Yo, y'all, I got identity crisis. I said Tara. <laughs> Tara, explain. In the beginning. So, so in the beginning, God was, and God is, and he did what? Created everything. What is everything? Oh, what's that? All the way up to day seven, then he took a break, right? Can I ask you a question? Do you all believe that story? Okay, work with me. If you, if you believe the story, raise your hand. If you believe that story, do not tell me you do not believe in creative miracles. Because if God can speak into nothing and create what? Everything. Then God is an expert at creative miracles. How, how, how good is God at miracles? Adam and Eve, how'd that work? How were Adam and Eve created? Yeah, but how, no, how did God create Adam? 
Ready? God created Adam out of dirt that didn't exist before he created it. And they said, then he did what? Breathed on it, and Adam was. You're going to tell me that you don't believe in miracles. I'm asking because I'm trying to lay a, a backdrop that, that, that when we talk about signs, wonders, miracles, cre- uh, healing and deliverance and all those things, that the church gets a little freaked out. But, but I'm telling you from the beginning of everything, it's always been the heart of God to be creative in that way. Not only did he do that, but, but when, after he blew into the dirt, breathed into the dirt and created Adam, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And he, 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 he laid poor Adam down and said, what? Spare rib. Huh? Make you never want to eat pork again. Right? Created a woman out of the man. Now listen to me. How many of you guys truly believe that story? If you believe that God can do those things, but God can't heal cancer, there's something wrong with your mindset. Or did God just create one time and quit? Because somehow when the church has got into this place, it doesn't believe in creative miracles. You say, well, Joe, that's great. That was in Genesis. Well, let's go, let's go to the beginning of Matthew. And he says, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to send a Savior. Someone explain how that process worked. Hello. How did that process work? <laughs> Ready? What happened? The who did what? The Holy Spirit came to be with Mary, who was a virgin, and she had a child. His name was Emmanuel. God with us. How many of y'all believe that story? Do you really believe it? Not only did it happen then, there's nine prophetic words in the Old Testament prophesied about the birth of Christ being born to a virgin. The book of Isaiah, right? Isaiah is loaded with prophetic What, I, what I'm getting at is when we begin to look at God, not through our Western mindset, we can see that God has always been a God who does miraculous things that seem so extraordinary to us, but they're absolutely ordinary to him. What are some of the things that Jesus did through his ministry? He did what? He healed the sick. Sight to the blind. Hearing to the deaf. Raise the dead. Lame men walk. 
He removed shame and guilt. What a forgave sin, fed the hungry. What else did he do? What's that? Water and the wine. What else? Fish and bread, right? Think about that. 5,000 hungry people, man. We got enough to feed three people. He says what? No, no, no. We have more than enough. What else? Heal the lepers. Heal the insane. Drove out demons. That's a nice way to put it, Chuck. I would have used a, I, I would have used a different terminology. Thank you for doing it in such a gracious way. He laid the religious rulers mad because he didn't play according to their script. I'm asking because when I begin to look at what's happening and I begin to look at Scripture and to, to really process, it should not be abnormal to think that the God who breathed into dirt and created everything out of nothing and had a ch child who's the Savior of the world born by a virgin, prophesied for 600 years, would have a problem with healing or deliverance or anything like that. That, 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 that somehow the church has got this a stigma that, that God doesn't do these things anymore. We're going to look at a few scriptures. Can we do that real quick before we pray? Acts 2, 22. We're going to go quickly. Someone takes Acts, Acts 2, 22. Someone take Mark 16, 15 to 20. Who's going to take Acts 2, 22? Acts 2, verse 22. Who's going to take it? Kathy, take Acts, or take Mark 16, 15 to 30. Joanne, take Hebrews 2, 4. Acts 2, verse 22. Who did I give that to? Go ahead. Ready? The, the testimony of Jesus is that all the signs, wonders, and miracles that Jesus did were attested to who? To God. Listen to me. God is the one who does signs, wonders, and miracles. Ready? If we pray for a miracle, we pray for signs and wonders. If we, it is not us that does it. It's who? God. God still uses who? Us. Are you guys good with that or no? Yes, no, maybe. Wayne? Okay. Just want to make sure. So what the scripture is saying here, he, he, he's kind of rebuking the Pharisees, rebuking the religious people, saying, listen to me, you've seen it with your own eyes. This is the Jesus that God has sent, and he sings to glorify God. Listen to me. Part of the issue we have in, in today's culture is that, that when we talk about signs, wonders, and miracles, we look at the person presenting and we're not looking at the one who presented him. If God would happen to use someone for signs, wonders, and miracles, it is not the person that's doing it. They are just a vessel. They are just a conduit for God to pour in and to pour out. 
The problem is, in the flesh of humans, at some point, if God does it, most people say, well, look what I have. What have I done? I, I say that for a reason, because when I was in Bible college, there was a, uh, a guy named Reinhard Bonnke who came and spoke. And, and I won't mention the evangelist's name, but, but, but Bonnke is sharing. Uh, he was a, a guy who had 10 million souls won as he preached evangelistic messages in Africa. 10 million people came to Christ under Reinhard Bonnke. 10 million by the voice of one man used by God. And Bonnke shares, he went to this place and uh, he, he wanted to, to see this evangelist. He had believed in healing and uh, he, he went to knock on the door and, and as he went in to knock on the door, the, the gentleman he saw was dying of rheumatary arthritis. And what happened is, I'm just going to put it out there, what happened is that, that this guy had a powerful healing ministry and guess what his ministry was based around? Healing people with rheumatoid arthritis. He made a statement from a pulpit one day. He said, I have conquered rheumatoid arthritis. Within a matter of months, the man's now suffering and dying from what? Because he took the credit for himself and not give it to God. Listen to me, I'm a, I'm a, we're going to go here today whether we like it or not. If God would choose to do something of a miraculous nature, it is not you or me, it is simply the presence of God working through us to do what he says he's going to do. That should be a great relief to you. Because if he does it, he gets the credit. If he doesn't, you don't have to take the fall. The problem we have is we're so afraid, let's be honest, we're so afraid if God asks us to pray for a creative miracle, if we, if we pray for a healing, what if God doesn't? If God tells me to pray for someone and they're sick and God heals them, he gets the credit. If he doesn't, I didn't what? I didn't fail. I just choose to be obedient when I hear the voice of God saying, Joe, this is what I want you to do. I've shared with you all in the, in the past, I have prayed with three people who have been dead that God raised back to life. I can't tell you the number, I prayed, the number of people I prayed for that God did not bring back. It's easy to talk about the three that God did. It's really hard to talk about the ones that God didn't. My responsibility was the same, to pray for everyone that God asked me to pray for. Does that make sense? And the results are up to him. Because he knows his plans better than I do. Are you with me? You guys weren't ready for this today, were you? Mark, Mark 16, 15 to 20. All right, wait one second, I'm going to cut you off. Go into all the world and preach the good news. Go ahead, Kathy. Stop. This is the Great Commission passage. We talk about the Great Commission being out of Matthew 28, but there's actually three versions of the Great Commission. We like to quote Matthew 28 because it's the least offensive. Seriously. Because what happens is, Scripture says that if you're going to preach the, the Word of God, if you're going to preach the, 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 the salvation of Christ, it says these signs and wonders might follow. Could follow. 
At what point is will no longer will? Go ahead, Kathy. I cut you off. Uh oh. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They will be able to place their hands on the sick. Go ahead. Wow. So the Great Commission passage is Jesus saying, look, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go to all the world. You're going to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And these signs and wonders are going to follow. Jesus went into heaven and it said, guess what happened? The signs and wonders followed the preaching of the word. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. And guess what happened? Everything that Jesus said would happen. My question is, does that Great Commission passage no longer relevant to us? Is it still relevant to us? Are we supposed to still do it? Look, I'm reading from Scripture. I'm not making anything up. He says, if you do this, signs and wonders will follow the preaching of the word. For the glorification of who? God the Father in Jesus at the right hand. And it's all done through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's where we run into a little bit of dilemma. Because you start talking about the Holy Spirit and the church gets a little what? Gets a little freaked out. Here you go, you being one of those Pentecostal people. Ready? I, it's not, I choose not to be Pentecostal. I choose not to be charismatic. I choose to believe the scripture in the fullness of what it says. I'm listening. That God does things in an order, and that should be at the front of the list. list. No? the first thing that Jesus wants to do is he wants to set you free. Listen to me. He is the salvation of the world. He came to set you free. 
He who he sets free is free indeed. Ready? I want to read this from Wordwell from, from Jack Hayford because it says he'll, he's going to confirm the word through the company signs. Here's right. You have to preach the word, not your opinion or your thoughts. And that's why I'm looking at the scripture and going through the scripture saying this is what the word of God says. This is what Pastor Joe thinks. The confirming in, in, in Strong's to make firm, to establish, to secure, to corroborate, to guarantee the miracles that accompany disciples' preaching confirmed to the people that the messengers were telling the truth, that God was backing up their message with supernatural phenomenon, and that a new dispensation, the age of grace, had entered into the world. What this is saying is Jesus is simply confirming who he is and what he says he's going to do. Ready? And there's this new age. Not new age like we think of new age, but this new age, this new dispensation where the grace of God is going to be poured out on all flesh. Are you guys with me or no? Hebrews 2.4. So, and we will validate that in a moment because we're going to share some things here in a second. What I'm trying to get at is I'm trying to, I'll be honest, I'm trying to pull my emotions away from having a conversation with Teresa that absolutely devastated me, which caused me to go after God and say, God, what is it you're trying to say to me? What, God, what are you asking me to do? I can do nothing on my own behalf. But God, what are you asking? I don't know Lewis. I know nothing about Lewis. I talked to Teresa on Thursday and I said, Teresa, I'll come today. What do you need? She's going to stay with your family. I'll call you in a day or so. And what Lewis said was you can pray for God to do a miracle in my wife. You can pray for God to do a miracle. Joe, you do, you're not going to do the miracle. Is, is he a believer? He is? So, so I, I'm going to ask the question, if someone says, hey, Joe, I believe that God can do a miracle for my wife, my response should be, well, I don't think God does that anymore because I haven't seen it. I don't. 
The problem is I have seen it. And so I have to believe it. And I think scripture at times says, because you ask not. We need to ask for God to, to be God. And if God responds, we need to give him the glory and the honor. If God chooses not to and takes Teresa home, here's the reality. I'm not responsible for that because God is ultimately her father and he knows what's best for her. But it's not an excuse for me not to pray. It's not an excuse for me not to go after the kingdom of heaven because if it's of the enemy, I am not going to sit by and let the enemy win. I am going to present this person before the throne of Jesus Christ and ask for God to do a miracle in her body because that's what God does. Are we good so far? Mark 1, 4. Mark 1, verse 4. Anybody there? That's not it. I may give you the wrong scripture. Sorry about that. I miswrote it down. There's a scripture in Mark. It says that Jesus was moved with compassion as he healed the lepers. Ready? Listen to me. Jesus doesn't heal because he has to prove anything to anyone. Jesus heals because he has compassion. Huh? 41. 141. Yeah, my, my, I was scribbling some notes earlier this morning. Mark 141. Go ahead and read it, Chuck. Ready? The leper comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, will you heal us? Or can you heal us? And he says what? Not only can I, I will. Because he was moved with compassion before the lepers. Listen to me. How, how am I going to get there? Because I'm ripping people's theology up. God is not a distant God. Jesus is not a distant Jesus. And he does have emotions and feelings because we're created in his image. And what we have to understand is that he had compassion because here's a reality. Scripture said, the shortest scripture said that Jesus what? Wept over the condition when we raised Lazarus from the dead. Are you with me? He wasn't weeping over Lazarus. He was weeping over the condition of Israel because he would not believe that he is who he said he was. But to say that, that God is a distant God, he doesn't care, he's not engaged, is absolutely not true. At some point, the, the body of Christ will understand that there's an intimate relationship of the creator of the word beyond religion, beyond going to a church service. There's this intimacy with, with Christ that he wants to obtain and that he has compassion. What does it mean to have compassion? Man, it's this unprecedented love that he pours out because of the human condition. Because when you were a leper, you were what? 
excommunicated from all what? Society. If you're a leper and you're walking in a community, you had to declare your leprosy. Don't tell me it, that God is not a loving or a compassionate God. Someone go to Luke 17, 12 through 16. Someone go to Luke 14, 12 to 14. Who's got 17? Luke 17, 12 to 16. Anybody raise their hand? No. Luke 17, 12 to 16. Ready? Jesus have mercy. What is mercy? What is mercy? Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Jesus showed them mercy and healed them. The problem is, out of the 10 lepers, how many came back? One. That's a whole other sermon. What's that? Ready? He wasn't just healed, he was made whole. Salvation is to be made whole as though it was in the garden. Physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. If you look at Exodus 15, 26, not right now, go to Exodus 15, 26 at some point, when it talks about healing, it talks about complete restoration. And so that leper wasn't just healed from his leprosy, he was made whole, and he acknowledged that Jesus Christ is the one who did it. The problem we have today is we have healing services. People get healed, they go back into the world, and they forget who they even went to see. Is it true? But we're judging people. We're judging Jesus on the response of people, and we need to look at Jesus for who Jesus says he is and does what he says he's going to do and glorify him because of his goodness and his grace towards humanity. Are you with me or no? Is this too much? My mother-in-law is looking at me like I got four heads. How many preachers? How many preachers do you have in your family? Janet. How many? Three? Just three? Thought you had more than that. Like a basketball team. I thought there was like six or seven of them. Her father was a preacher. My father was a Methodist preacher. Did you ever hear your dad preach this? Did you ever hear your dad preach this? Probably. Okay, I just want to make sure. That way I can protect myself later when she says, Cindy, you know what he said? Luke 14, 12 to 14. 
Anybody? Luke 14, 12 to 14. I don't know. I'll let you know when you get there. When you do it, you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for him. And they are honored. And he is honored. It has nothing to do with you. I could literally preach forever on this subject. No, I'm not going to. I'm here to ask do you still believe that God does signs, wonders, miracles, and healing? If you do, raise your hand. Not sure. Okay, what? <laughs> Look, look, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I am simply sharing the word of God. That's it. I am not, I am not trying to convince you of anything except for this is who Jesus says he is. This is what Jesus says he does. He said, well, Pastor Joe, I'm not quite sure. I'm going to ask Meg to put something on real easy so I can talk over it. And I have to confess that this subject for me has been incredibly exhilarating at times in ministry and incredibly difficult at times in ministry. Because I see times when God does and I'm amazed and perplexed by the power of God. And then there's times when I really have an expectation that God's going to move in a certain way and he doesn't and it just it just crushes me. But then I have to come to the realization that I am not God. I didn't grow up in church. I grew up in the pits of hell. My mother left when I was 10. My dad was a drunk. I raised two brothers. I did more drugs. I chased more women. I made more money. I squandered life away. When I got saved, 
I was dating multiple women, doing multiple drugs, and my life was full on out of control. And someone handed me a Bible and I began to read it before I even went to church. When I tell you I was out of control, every demon from the pit of hell had a hold of me. I'll never forget, I was at church and I was standing on the back row. I had recently got saved. And you guys have heard this before. I said, God, if you're real, you can deliver me, you can heal me, you can set me free. And as clear as I'm speaking to you now, God said, if you come to this altar, I'll set you free. I slid down the back wall. I didn't want anybody to see me. I slid up the side wall because I didn't want anybody to see me. And back then we had those big eight foot tall speakers. I said, if I could just get to that speaker and hide if I could get to that speaker and hide, I believe that the God of the Bible can do everything he said he could do. To worship leaders leading worship, there's 300 people in the church. I get behind the speaker, I take a deep breath. The guy leading worship stops leading worship. The church goes silent and he says, what do you want God to deliver you from? I said, if God is who he says he is, he can deliver me from every, everything. Listen to me. I was snorting cocaine. I was smoking weed. I was drinking my life away. Uh, you, you name it. I was the walking pit of hell in a moment's time. In a moment of time. I said, if God says he is who he says he is, he can set me free. Before the worship leader even put hands on me, boom, it was over. I got saved in the midst of deliverance. I got saved in the midst of healing. I got saved in the midst of restoration. I got saved in the midst of the fullness of who God said. I didn't know church. I didn't understand church. I didn't care about church. But I can tell you at that moment in time, Jesus Christ, who raised from the dead, sent the Holy Spirit to breathe life by this mortal body that gave me eternal life by his goodness and his compassion and his grace and his mercy. Don't tell me he can't do it. I was in a Pentecostal church, and God began showing up, literally. I'm going to put it out there. I got saved in July and October. A girl comes to the church. She's demon-possessed. I didn't know anything about demon possession except for Scripture says that God casts out demons. They're having a service, and they bring this girl in, and she was a quaint little thing, about 5'2", 135 pounds. The evangelist of the church service said, who is Joe? They're like, I don't know, he's some new dude who showed up at church. God spoke to them and said, hey, we want, Joe needs to deliver this girl from, from demons. True story. I walk in the back. I'm a pretty big dude. John Wood was with me. He's a pretty big dude. And this dude, Dan, he's not so big. And we started to pray for this girl, and she just simply went, 
and pick this all up off the ground. No, 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 no. God, you said you're going to set her free. God, you said you came to set the captives free. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I had a privilege of traveling the world and seeing signs, wonders, and miracles on a regular basis where God would literally open blind eyes. I was in Buenos Aires, south of Buenos Aires, in a place called Neaquen, Argentina. And I remember they brought this woman who was Catholic and they kind of walked her up to the altar. And God, what are you doing? And all I could, all I could understand was Catholicico, Catholicico, they told me she was Catholic. One of her friends spoke broken English and she said, someone told us that if we came here today that Jesus will let her walk again. I don't, she doesn't speak English and I was blessed to pray with her and lay hands on her and the woman took off and she ran around the sanctuary three or four times. I mean, there's like thousands of people in this place. And I'm like, God, what do you, what, forgive me, what is so special about that? And the woman with her said, you're not going to believe this. They removed four ligaments from her legs five months ago and said she would never walk again. And tell you hundreds of stories of the grace and the mercy and the compassion of God. How many of you guys were in the upper room the night we prayed with a girl who had the lesions on her eyes? She wanted to study to be a nurse and she couldn't be a nurse because she had lesions in her eyes. I'd never seen her before and her exact words, if I, someone told me if I came here today that Jesus may heal me. We prayed for her and I wasn't there the next week and she came back and gave a testimony that the lesions were gone. I'll tell you that nine years ago on a Sunday morning, Lem Lewis, came into our church, getting ready to go through cancer surgery on Monday at Franklin Square. And the doctors assured him he'd never get through it. And that Monday morning, they opened Lem Lewis up to find no cancer. Gordon, how many times we see God do a miracle over in Seaford, Delaware? Too many times. I'll be honest with you. It's a hard thing for me to wrap my head around. But I know that I know that I know 
The God who started all with a miracle is more incapable of doing miracles today than he was on the day he first started. And not only that, in the book of John, before he departed, he went to his disciples and said, These and greater things shall you do in my name. Girls, remember when you prayed with the woman who died on the boardwalk? Dead, dead, dead. And the greatest testimony I could share with a little girl who was probably 12 or 13 was that her mother had had an encounter with the love of God that brought her back because he's a God of compassion. And there have been times in my life where I have run so fast away from signs, wonders, and miracles because it hurts so much. You're one of those. You believe this, you believe that. couple of years ago there's a woman named Nancy who attends this church and she came to me on the pickleball court with tears in her eyes and said Joe I have cancer I'm not going to live Her exact words were, I don't know if I want to live anymore. And if God doesn't do something, I have six, six weeks. Not in 